Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast <laughs> from the world. Well, look, we're going to start early. Thanks very much for coming. Now, when I was at the NME in 19, uh, whatever it was, 78, as a keen cub reporter, my dear old pal, a mentor over here, was one of the people on the staff who, who very kindly got me off the, um, the, the news desk to write joke pieces at the front. Do you remember? For Mostly thrill, about for Rod thrills. For, for thrills. thrills. For the yeah. thrills section. Mostly I, about I what editing, a tosser yeah. we thought Rod Stewart was. Actually, I quite like him now, but yeah, we, we thought he was hilarious at the time. But anyway, he has written, and I'm sure you've read some of them, 16 books, books about the Stones, The Clash, um, Reggae, Bob Marley, and he is about to tell us a little bit about his 17th book. Please welcome and give a kind of real Islington-shaped vast round of applause for the great Chris Salovich. He does it so well. <laughs> so, Chris, the first thing we're going to get you to do, just going to read a little section of the book, but first, explain yeah. the concept. Okay, of your well, book. The, I'm sure. Most of you are aware of the concept of the 27 Club. It's those people who died at, at 27. Uh, and we've got um, we, we, Amy, Kurt Cobain, Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin and Robert Johnson. And we, think, shall, we shall hear, hopefully, five or six minutes on each one of them. It's absolutely that's correct. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to start off. I'm going to read a, a, a section about... Uh, about Kurt Cobain, which kind of defines what we're talking about, really, because the term the 27 Club first was used, I think, during the 80s, but it was really when Kurt Cobain dies in uh, April 1994, and his mother says, now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club. It's Wendy O'Connor, his mother. And so Wendy O'Connor, the mother of Kurt Cobain, reacted to the news of her son's self-inflicted death on the 8th of April, 1994. Kurt Cobain was not the first male member of his family to kill himself. So matter of course was suicide on both sides of his family that, as a young teenager, Kurt would joke of having suicide genes. When the future Nirvana singer was 12 years old, Bert Cobain... His great-uncle, brother to Kurt's grandfather, Leyland, took a pistol and shot himself 
first in the stomach and then in the head, finally killing himself. A year previously, ignoring medical advice that he would face death if he did not give up alcohol, Ernest Cobain, Leyland and Burl's brother, had fallen on the stairs in his house while drunk, drying, dying from a brain aneurysm, some form of subconscious suicide perhaps. Aneurysm, in fact, would become the title of a 1991 Nirvana song, the B-side of Smells Like Teen Spirit. However, there seems little link to Ernest Cobain's to Ernest Cobain's tragic fate. Charles R. Cross, Cobain's biographer, asserts that Kurt wrote the lyrics to Aneurysm about his ex-girlfriend, musician Toby Vale. On his mother, Wendy's side, Kurt's great-grandfather had stabbed himself in front of the entire family. It's a little bit of a downer, this. I'm sorry about this. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> Admitted to a mental hospital, he finally killed himself two months later by tearing apart his healing wounds. It, it must have seemed almost an everyday occurrence when, as an early teenager, Kurt and a pair of friends found the hanging body of a boy who had done away with himself. So, you're inclined to muse, was Kurt's end inevitable? Surviving members of families in which suicide has occurred are frequently haunted by the fear that it runs in the family, that one day they too might take their own lives. Mental health problems run in many families, and it's worth recalling that the third single off Nevermind was Lithium, a song that took the name of the drug that allegedly treated manic depressive, bipolar as it's become termed, behaviour. This was an affliction from which Kurt certainly suffered though it's not known whether he ever took lithium. Yet, tragedy in the family can act as a spur for other members. Was this the case with this highly sensitive and intelligent, innately artistic boy who had utterly changed the course of 1990s music? In 1991, Nirvana revealed themselves as the, as the last great American rock band, one which emerged seemingly from nowhere to sell over 30 million copies of Nevermind. Nirvana are as indelibly the sound of America's West Coast as the Beach Boys. But this is a different West Coast, marinated in rain, mist and darkness. The dark, in the vanguard of what became known as the grunge movement, the sludgy fusion of punk rock and heavy metal that emerged from the Pacific Northwest, Nirvana's seemingly sudden success overturned the American music business. Until then, alternative music had seemed marginal at best in its sales potential. But now it was evident there was a critical mass of fans apparently waiting for just such an act to materialise. Nirvana shook the world with their music. Their explosive arrival opened the floodgates for acts previously marginalised as part of America's resolutely independent music scene. Several such bands became part of the most exciting movement since punk 15 years previously, of which Nirvana were direct descendants. R.E.M., already frontrunners, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Dinosaur Jr., Rage Against the Machine, Screaming Trees, Jane's Addiction, and, for Kurt, the spiritual godfathers, Sonic Youth, now swept all before them. Not only was Kurt Cobain the most successful musician of his generation, he was the rock and roll god of his age, a rock star, a father, an anti-style icon, a junkie, a suicide. 
Yet, his was also the story of what happens to a man when he gets what he wants. Kurt took the universal pain of a child of divorce and expressed it. The parents of Nirvana bassist Chris Novoselic and drummer Dave Grohl had also split up. His persistent feelings of utter isolation were so archetypal that he managed to truly connect with an enormous audience. Kurt seemed an almost professional loser, which was why he became such a huge star. Everyone identified with him and his struggle to be himself. Yet, there was always an element of pose. And although Kurt Cobain seemed the personification of what would soon become known as Generation X slacker apathy, he was also a very good actor. He was largely content to go along with anything that could boost his success, perfectly prepared to sign with a headline label, to ditch an inappropriate drummer, and to accept huge paychecks for playing major festivals. Yet, he was persistently conflicted over his role as a star, uncomfortable with the financial rewards it brought. Nirvana were a punk act that drew on the spirit of the Sex Pistols, never mind the bollocks, on the churning drive of Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, and on the melodic possibilities of the Beatles, with whose music Kurt had grown up. Many of his relatives loved the English group. My aunts would give me Beatles records, he told John Savage. For the most part, it was just Beatles records. In fact, many of Kurt's influences were from the UK. Appropriately, at the end of 1991, when Nirvana was surging up the US, when Nevermind, sorry, was surging up the US charts, Nirvana were touring Britain and then Europe, largely unaware that their lives were about to be utterly transformed. An anti-hero figurehead for his generation in his moth-holed thrift store woolen apparel. In January 1992, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana dislodged Michael Jackson's Dangerous album from its long stint at the top of the US album charts. As a cultural figure, Kurt represented a very specific moment when a unique sense of community, the global Nirvana community, emerged from popular culture. The early 1990s were a period of recession and war, both in the Gulf and the former Yugoslavia. And Kurt's hand-me-down garb was the antithesis of the designer, designer besotted late 1980s. His rebel music bespoke the soul of a difficult, dysfunctional individual, which was precisely the interior landscape of many of his fans. As the Beatles had done with Liverpool, Bob Marley with Kingston, Jamaica, and Bruce Springsteen with New Jersey's Asbury Park, Nirvana put Seattle on the musical map. Seattle, which has a population of three million, has a long-standing liberal progressive outlook and is an affluent city. But it does not enjoy an easy climate. Central to the sound of Nirvana is the mildly depressive, laconic feel of the American Pacific Northwest, where rain clouds ceaselessly tumble inland from over the vast ocean and sit over the blustery city. It was only later that it became known that Nirvana were not actually from Seattle at all. The biggest city in Washington state happened to be the one to which Kurt Cobain and bass player Chris Novoselic had eventually relocated from the logging town of Aberdeen, three hours' drive to the southwest. This is where they'd grown up, a town with an 18,000 population that has an average rainfall of almost 100 inches. 
Grays Harbour County, in which the town is located, has one of the highest suicide rates in the United States. Later, Alice Wheeler, Kurt's photographer friend, would visit Kurt in Aberdeen. It would always be raining, she said. He'd always witness some kind of domestic violence. So this is an absolutely incredible cocktail of really miserable, cold, wet and oppressive weather. Grim stuff. A, a terrible divorce, a lot of ghastly things that he experiences, and also a lot of illness. I mean, he had a, a very bad spinal uh, problem from which that's, he had to that's take drugs. That's correct, which is made worse, of course, by playing the guitar. He has nervous colitis. He's, he's on tablets all the time, which the heroin alleviates. So we have here all the uh, basic ingredients for an absolute catastrophe. Really. Absolutely. But the other interesting thing in the, in the book is that you're talking about how this is the idea that he has to express himself and, and paints oh, his and draws all over the walls. And know. the main yeah. thing he wants to do when he's a kid, you know, five, six, what he gets for Christmas presents, birthday presents, he gets, he gets, he gets pencils, he gets paints, he gets, he gets stuff that, that would help him with that. And actually in the film um, Montage of Heck, which came out earlier in the year, I don't know if you, any of you saw it, uh, there, that's the first place really where his paintings have been exposed. And they're kind of fantastic. Uh, but he thought, uh, oh, I knew I was a good artist, but I knew I was kind of the best... I, actually, I kind of knew I was the best artist in Aberdeen probably, but outside of Aberdeen I knew it wouldn't amount to anything. What was the relationship like with the rest of the band? Did they, did they regard him as quite volatile and likely to commit suicide? Uh, well, as time goes on, they're, they're pretty concerned. But, um, but I, I, at first, you know, it's, I, from what I understand, Kurt is doing heroin. You know, before they're successful. It's not just, you know, it doesn't, they're, they're doing lots of drugs, basically. All of them. Right. Because it always, it always interests me, the story about... Was it when Ian Curtis was found dead that the rest of the band said, oh, we never thought he meant it. No, that's right. You know what I mean? All yeah. the kind of depressive lyrics. Well, they I just think thought they, that but was I think, But I think they know... But, I mean, for example, before, before Kurt shoots himself, um, a, f- a few weeks before, I mean, the same month, he'd taken an overdose of 60 rohypnol in Rome. So it's obvious something's going on here. And, um, but I think, you know, it's almost... But he's into kind of existentialist acts as well. So, it's, so it is tricky because he would, you know, in Aberdeen, he would... I mean, he loathed, he loathed the American gun culture of hunting. And so he'd see trucks with, you know, rifles, racks in them, and he'd go and he'd, he'd paint queer on them. Right. <laughs> That's didn't, a great didn't detail. Wasn't there a, a detail in the book where, where his um, stepfather... Uh, his mother threw a load of his stepfather's guns in the lake. Yeah, yeah. This is what, well, what, what happens, of course, is... I mean, that pivotal moment where it all seems to go wrong is when he's eight, when his parents split up. And uh, his, his, mother is, um, his mother starts living with a guy who's, who's uh, paranoid schizophrenic. So he, gives, he goes to live with his father, which is in Aberdeen. And um, then he goes, and that's the part of the problem. You know, where's he living? You know, where are his roots? He keeps going back and forth. He goes back to his, to his mother's place. His mother has, has got the, the new boyfriend, thrown all his weapons into the river. Kurt goes, Kurt goes in the next morning and digs them out and goes and buys his first amp. Sells them and buys them. It's exactly, just extraordinary exactly, sequence exactly. of events. Yeah. 
Just one last question before we get on to, on to the, next, the next person, because they're all connected, actually. But you described Courtney, um, Courtney Love brilliantly as a former stripper and Oregon Reform School alumnus, which I like very much. Well, well what's the attraction with Court, C- Courtney? Well, you see, there's a, part, there's a side of Courtney which, which, which people don't seem to appreciate. I met Courtney on the set of the Alex Cox oh, film shoot. Straight to Hell in... in, um, in, in uh, in El Maria, the Spanish spaghetti western sets, in '87, I spent a couple of days with her actually, with her and Joe Strummer and Dick Rude, probably not his real name, in a in a Dodge car, smoking spliffs, obviously. And uh, Corny's really nice. She's a really sweet girl. She used to hang around with Echo of the Bunnymen. She used to hang out with Julian Cope. Julian Cope actually. She's really sweet. So you see that you know the monster that she's described as so frequently there's another side to her completely so you can see what's and and courtney in fact does try towards the end you know, she does try to have as you know as they call it NAA, she just try to have an intervention she gets everyone you know into the house in seattle and um and tries to persuade him to go to to uh go to a clinic and actually kind of succeeds but of course you know, he's there for a couple of days it's quickly on a plane out of there but so she does she does try her best well as we shall see with, with all all of these uh, individuals that it's relationships it's the family we've got pictures of early pictures of them late pictures because the the early life of all seven of these people well, is so the, well, and all, but there's an important point to make about all these people they're all really bright yeah they're all incredibly intelligent. I mean, we just go back to Kurt for a second, because he, of course, is, is um, <coughs> diagnosed as ADD, you know, attention deficit disorder, given tablets. For, but you can tell, no, he's just bright, you know, he just wants to get on with stuff, you know, but they, they always seem very keen on that. And it's the same with, in America, that's the same with Amy. And also, you know, Kurt's, uh, Kurt's parents split up when he's eight, her parents split up when she's nine, and it all seems to go... A bit weird from there, basically. But the key thing, is, as far as I can see, about Amy Winehouse is, it, of, of many, but the main thing is her relationship with her father. Would that be right? Because right. her father left the, the house father, when she was... The, the father Tell leaves. us about that. The, the, father, the father leaves, and there's, there's this, this almost desperate desire to always get Dad back. Um, and, you know, I think it's no coincidence at all that when she dies, her father is on tour... Uh, he's in America about to start a tour, which, of course, she's financed, and she's financed the making of his record. It's all a bit iffy and a bit dodgy. Well, as, as it was obvious in that as for, as documentary. You see yeah. in the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, he goes, when she goes to St. Lucia to try and clean up, effectively... He goes over there with a film crew. Oh, it's a point. I mean, I'm sure you've all, a lot now. of you have seen the film, but there's a terrible moment in the film where, where she decides to go to rehab, and he steps in and says... Are you sure? Do you remember that? And, and, and she says, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. So, well, it's your decision. You don't be pushed into it. And she doesn't go to rehab. And, and also he's idea. making... And also he's... Um, you know, he's, he's making remarks to the, to the press about, oh, well, no, we all dabble. We all dabble with drugs. We all did that when I was a kid. She's not really got a problem. But the one that, to me, Amy somehow sums up this problem maybe it's because it's the most recent but Amy is a kind of Amy's you know Amy's a personifies the ladette of the you know of, the, of 10 15 years ago she's one of those girls who you'd see you know on a Friday night 
you know, squatting down behind the phone box having a pee, basically, yeah. at quarter to 12 at night. She's like completely, she's completely going for it. Um, would you also say, because I've got a feeling that, you know, that there are certain people, Sandy Denny is a really good example, actually, and Janis Joplin, that they were, they were trying to, it's hard enough being a, 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 a woman in a man's world, but I got the impression with her that she just tried to be a man. Yeah, well, that's what, what I mean. Yeah, she, well, she that's just, kind of what yeah, was, culture is. She, she exactly. was just literally She's drinking a bloke. She wants to be a bloke. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can see, you know, in, you can see in her, what happens to her in her body. I mean, there's that classic time in, I mean, 2007, 2008, one forgets about what was happening, you know, in the tabloid press with regards to Amy, which is. You know, she'd be... I mean, she was at the end of 2007. She's on the front cover of the Evening Standard with some Coke residue in her nose. And the next few weeks later, she's in the sun. You know, there's video footage of her with a crack pipe. I mean, it's really out of control. She goes... She checks into the Sanderson, I think, the October of 2007. Um, the Sanderson Hotel in, in, in Berners Street with Blake Fielder Civil, to whom she was by then married. And then she's, she's found in the street outside running away hitches a ride with some girls and then goes but then goes back two hours later and what's happened is and she's covered in blood of course and what's happened is that she she says she had hired a prostitute to go to their room with them to do drugs together but uh, the thing also about her also is like we've all done that we've all done that uh, the, 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 but the, the thing about her is everyone says oh well you know she's 24 she's a grown up no there's no 24-year-olds here, are there? No. Um, they're, I shouldn't they're not, think so. They're kids. They're kids. These are kids. And the other, th- and I feel no one is no one is really looking after them. No one's really I, keeping I, an eye on I this really situation. I really agree with that because because she seemed to me to be an absolutely incredibly gifted technician, as all Obviously. seven of these people are. Obviously. Incredible singer and can really do very little else apart from sing, which is what she really wanted to do. Everything else she couldn't really deal with, and also everything else she wasn't protected against. Yeah, and by there, a large and number no of people, they're a protector. There's no reason why she, she, she should be able to deal with those situations because no one has shown her. I mean, when she dies, there's a, you know, there's a bloke, a bodyguard, in quotes, out, you know, in her home, outside the bedroom. Oh, looked in at 10 o'clock, seemed to be asleep. Looks in at 4 o'clock, and she's dead. Well, actually, maybe not really doing your job, old chap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the most heartbreaking bits... And everyone around her seems to be like that. One of the most heartbreaking bits of the film is where um, she was taken out of the house in Camden, unconscious, lifted off a sofa... Mm put in the back of a car, driven to a private aircraft on a landing strip, mm. flown to Spain to honour a $1 million mm. concert, mm. which she was incapable of playing, mm. stood up, pushed on stage, mm. took off stage, put the car, flown over. And there's also the Serbia... The, there's the gig in Serbia, not long before she goes, before, yeah, yeah. Where, where she um, she's really drunk on, on Slivovich. And, but the, what the idea was, apparently, was... Why is she so bad when she gets on stage? You know, she's clearly completely drunk. Oh, because the coke was no good. The coke was supposed to have straightened her out. Again, it's a fair point, isn't it? (laughs) But look, we're going to move on to... Because my theory of reading your fantastic book is all of these people... That there are, uh, there's usually one significant event that happens. And my feeling about Brian Jones, the next person we're going to talk about, there is Brian just before he died on the right, age 27, was that Brian Jones. Not looking very good there, though. Yeah, not looking, yes. Not looking too bad there. Actually. Not looking too Actually, no, maybe Forward not. to know. Brian, interesting, he had three right. children by the age of 19, am I right? Was he it three? did have three children by the time he was 19. And, but I think the, the pivotal moment, what goes wrong for Brian, is that when he's four, 
His parents, who are kind of very sort of ordinary middle-class Cheltenham people. He's from Cheltenham. Um, there's a two-year-old sister who dies. And the parents very quick... And he developed his... One of the problems when he's in that swimming pool at the end is the asthma. And he has asthma for the rest of his life. That's when he first develops the asthma. And his parents very quickly have a, you know, another daughter. And it's said that the mother you know, withdrew all her love from him and put it all onto the, the new sister. You know, kind of fairly sort of... You can imagine it, can't you? you know? Completely. You know? But, but the, 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 throughout the chapter, it's this extraordinary triangular relationship between Brian Jones, who's the, the leader of the group, and the, also the, the, the real looker at the front, exactly. his who, band, yeah, the yeah. architect of their sound, yeah. and Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Yes. So that changes all the time. Of course. So there's an amazing moment when, when, when he was discovered by the others in 63 or 64 to have organised... A deal whereby he got five pounds Another five more. Pounds is that right? Because, yes, because he's the leader of the group. So he, because he's the one who who deals with the contracts. When Andrew Lou Goldham and Eric Easton have have, have been to see them in Richmond, but the, the other Hotel, stones, the other stones, they, immediately that, that was supposed to be the moment. That was supposed to be the moment. Yes, they will they hate him. They hated him. Absolutely hate him. He's getting that. five pound more a week than we are. But yeah. I think it's as Never much. Talk. But uh, sorry, no, 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 I think it's as much that. You know, you think of the Rolling Stones now, everyone thinks of Keith Richards, you know, more than Mick Jaggery. In the 60s, no one thought of Keith Richards for one second. Then he didn't hardly even thought of Mick Jagger. The f- person who looks fantastic and is the visual image of the Rolling Stones is Brian Jones. He's at the front of the great Garrett Mankiewicz picture, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. 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 But in fact, by the time, he's do, by the time they do... Um, What's the sixty? What's the album after Out of Our Heads? The one that's shot up on 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 between the buttons. buttons. Between the buttons, he's at the back, right? Yeah. Yes, because he <laughs> looks pretty bad he there. Looks pretty, he's at the yes. back. You know, yeah. something has shifted at that point. Yeah. yeah. But, but they, but but they basically, I think they just bully him out of the group completely. There's a terrible bit at the end where they, where they didn't they just leave him by the side of the road and drive? Oh past yeah, no, no. Well, no, that's but that's quite early on. They're going to a, they're going to a gig in Portsmouth, I think, and he goes. He, he Brian liked to be early, you know, like Keith. He liked to get there, you know, be professional about it. And his car broke breaks down. His Rover breaks down, and they see him standing by the side of the road and just drive past him. <laughs> Well, there's a, sorry, there's an even worse moment when they go to Morocco, which I'm sure you all oh, know. When they and Keith, uh, the whole band are there, but Keith and Anita Pallenberg, who's his, yeah, his girlfriend, his girlfriend, well, and, Brian's girlfriend, but by, but by the, the end of the journey, Keith's girlfriend, and they just they leave and they him left him in in the hotel in Morocco yeah, he with goes the off, bill Brian, for all of to pay the whole bill exactly, and stole his girlfriend. Brian has gone off to to the Atlas Mountains. You know, to... to, to but he to comes the, back, because there's, a, there's a significant point about Brian. Brian's the guy who invent, he invents world music. He invents world music with the, you know, the... the, the but wh- while he's off of buying, a, buying an still, owl, you know, they've stolen his girlfriend and left him the pill. And there's actually, there's a bit I've quoted from, from Keith's, Keith's, I think, some meretricious autobiography. Is, I never saw a guy so affected by fame. The minute we'd had a couple of successful records, Zoom, he was Venus and Jupiter rolled into one. Huge inferiority to complex you hadn't noticed. He became a pain in the neck, a kind of rotting attachment. This is like 41, written, comes out 41 years after he's dying. Leave it out, Keith, please. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Apocryphal point. I just want this confirming. Brian Jones has three children by the time he's 19. That's correct. Are they all called Julian? Sorry? Were they all called Julian? 
Somebody tell me that. Yeah, I think they might. I they think were all two of them. Certainly were. Yeah. Just, like, just if you like the name. It just saves the bother can, of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> saves, saves that confusion. Junior, whatever your name yeah, is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. As, as an experienced parent. Two of them are. Yeah. Exactly. But it's an interesting point that Keith and Mick, who I suppose would be what two years would have been two years younger than him, yeah. were incredibly impressed by the idea that a nineteen-year-old oh, yeah, no, had three yeah, children. No, and, and then, and then, of course. So, so, therefore, almost to prove a point, Mick goes and shags his then girlfriend. That's nice, isn't that's, it? That won't go down well. No, no, we would, that would not go bad. down well. No. Well, so, look, so the, I do. The, th- yeah, I do think they kind of bullied him out of the group. I don't think. He, I don't think he was murdered for one second. No, 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 really. But so, Jimmy Hendrix said, "Just give us." That's the picture of Hendrix. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy's life, his story, is, is kind story. of worse than Dickensian. You know, his his mother is. His mother is 17. Oh, it's been a horror show, this, isn't it? Sorry. His, Jimmy's, Jimmy's... I mean, Jimmy's social workers in the house. Yes. <laughs> uh, J- Jimmy's, Jimmy's mother, Lucille, is 17 and is working in bars, which in America, obviously, you're not allowed to do. Um, and, and the far... Underage and pregnant. And, and, underage and, and pregnant, pregnant. And pregnant. And Al, Al the, um, you know, the, the father, he, it's the war. It's 1943. He's, he's drafted. He goes off into the, into the Navy. Um, but she has plenty of other boyfriends during that time. But the point about the, the drinking is that there's, there's several more... Ch- you know, there's two sisters and two brothers. They're born... The first one is he's OK. And, but, but Jimmy is looking after him from the age of five, cooking meals for him. But, but one of them has this, this horrendous birth pr- deformities, basically. You know, there's, 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 there's cleft palates, there's club foot. The, one of the girls is born blind. They're given... You know, they're actually given they're, they're adopted so it's a kind of it's a completely ghastly situation he's taken off jimmy is taken there's another guy who she's involved take it would have been but before that before the dad comes back he's taken by this guy who i think was actually pimping lucille to to um to portland oregon but because that's crossing the straight line she's straight line she's underage he's imprisoned when he gets out of jail and by which point al is back you know he comes to try and reclaim her and al actually has a fight in the street with him and ends that situation again the, the, the if your mother is an underage girl singing in a bar didn't he call it that's where he got the phrase electric lady she's the electric lady electric and kind of... so there's no surprise also that you know there's when two girlfriends in New York in 66 are both prostitutes, prostitutes one white yeah. one black and then in um, about 18 months later I think it's the beginning of no it's the end of it's 67 Devon Wilson who he's with who's quite some well known groupie in quotes um, he's with her in, in L.A. and then in New York. She's also a prostitute. But because Lucille, is, there, is he, that's his female archetype. That's what he's looking for in a woman. But, but even, when, but even when Lucille dies, when she's... That's his idea of stability, exactly. When Lucille dies, when she's 33, Jimmy isn't allowed to... You know, Jimmy and his brother aren't allowed to go to the funeral. And they're furious with Al about that. What's that about? Because Al hasn't even got the money to get the gas to drive across yeah, yeah. Seattle to the to the cemetery. So presumably, in all these it's cases, a disaster. There, all these people come from difficult families, and their success then introduces into this family this terrible destabilizing effect of them of money and fame, yeah, which exactly presumably right. makes the yeah. families yeah. far worse and you know accentuates whatever unfortunate tendencies they've got. Is that what happened in, in every case here? The, presumably the family end up arguing about the money. 
Well, after after they die, oh, well, yes, or even after before, they die. Possibly. I mean, even before, yes. He, well, he, well, you know, the Amy situation. We have to be careful of the libel. No, here, sure, I, I think no, you know. allegedly, and we're talking about. Where is that the man at the back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to yeah, the unveiling of Jimi Hendrix's plaque in Mayfair. That's essentially what. Goes, but I don't think you know there are certain. Well, I mean, Jim Morrison. It doesn't happen because he said his parents are dead, and we're yes. anything to do with them. So, yeah. One, just one last... Actually, I was just saying, I went to a, the unveiling of a Jimi Hendrix plaque in, in May on the House of Mayfair, yeah. and his, one of his uncles stepped out of the crowd. <laughs> so those guys are around, right, exactly. and they're looking for <laughs> some kind of pop of gold. Just of really briefly, that, that picture up on the screen there on the left is Jimmy's brief kind of army... Uh, just tell yes. us about that, because a lot of people don't know that he was very briefly in the army. No, he was, well, he was, a, he was in the army, and... Um, you know, the story they used to give out, well, at first was given out, was that he broke his ankle in a parachute jump and was invalided out. No, he, he really wanted to carry... He said he was... He, was, he said, no, I'm gay. That's and right. that was it. That's yeah. how he got so out. So he never actually. jumped out of a plane at all? He probably did. You know, he probably uh, did, uh, yeah. It takes yeah. a bit of training. Because he's in the paratroopers. He's in the paratroopers, so... Yeah. You know, right, so he's, lost, he served. So he, he did it, but he, okay. didn't break his, he didn't break his ankle. No, OK, he, fine, fine, fine. Well, our next uh, candidate for our this... Next, uh, our, ne- no, our, next, our next happy family. Right. Yeah, that's right. Next on the couch yes. is uh, Janice Joplin. It's an amazing picture of Janice Joplin on the left there with her, with her um, uh, schools, multiple... Innocent little girl. I know, it's fantastic. So just tell us a bit about... Well, she, at, her, that her... Point, at, that point, at that point, all the guys in the school choir knew that if you wanted to feel someone up afterwards, you'd give her Janice. That's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> She's about 13 or 14. There's a, a brief moment in this which I refuse to believe in Chris's book, but he tells me it's true. Is that on a trip? Was it the Warner Brothers train? The journey with them? It was the Grateful yeah, yeah, Dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who were the bands? The, on the band. The ba- there's the great. The Grateful Dead. The band. Delaney and Bonnie. Yeah, a couple of others. I but anyway, it was a five-day tour on a train, and Chris alleges that uh, Janis Joplin had sex. 65 times. Now, she, yeah. she, to be fair, she was a, bi- a bisexual yes, and an energetic right. one. That's right. Energetic. <laughs> but that's a lot. And it's probably it's a quite, lot of sex. It's probably quite quick. And there's, <laughs> there's no buffet service on No the buffet. Exactly. No, you couldn't get exactly. a signal. You find your entertainment. You, you made your own entertainment. It was a slow train. Get hashtag different times. Exactly, yeah. But look, but go back. Her, her family actually quite supportive, weren't they, of uh, uh, Their family, well, they're sort of. They're kind of, they're sort of, they're kind of intellectuals. This is Port Arthur, Texas, which is the, the other point, the, this is the, this point is the oil capital of the world. It's inland, actually. It's about 20 miles inland, but, you know, connected to the sea, but through canals. It's also, because this is the 50s and 60s, well, the 40s, when it's, we start off, it's, it's, it's the South, and it's viciously uh, racially segregated. The family can see, see themselves as intellectuals, but, but so she's, she's given a piano from the age of three to, to learn how to play, but because she's not playing Chopin, which father... Father, who actually does also smoke marijuana and make bathtub gin. The father who paid for the piano. Who paid, paid for Chopin. the piano. Chopin. <laughs> no, it's taken away from her. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of conflict there. But there's also clearly... Janice's conflict is kind of... You know, one, you know, she obviously she wants to be an artist. and she feels, So she's got that sort of... She's got that background. She's got that nurturing. And, 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 and she's sort of being permitted to go in that way. But at the same time... So she's at university. But she leaves university to become a secretary... Uh, and the parents are concerned about her. They send her to... They've got relatives in Brentwood in Los Angeles, which is a kind of, you know, sort of fairly, you know, relatively conservative area. So she goes there in, 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 in the summer holidays, I think it's when she's 15, 
um, school holidays, long vacation in America, of course, and ends up instead in Venice, which is, you know, the heart of beat culture. And then here's what's going on in San Francisco, hitchhikes up to San Francisco, meets Ferlinghetti, goes City Lights Books, meets Ferlinghetti the poet, um, but also starts her, you know, but gets a speed habit early there. So... You know, so efforts by a parents' situation, they haven't quite worked. No, but and, and going back to the parents again, and we're going to go into this in more detail in the Jim, Jim Morrison uh, chapter to come. She, when she became successful, she started to, to really, really um, um, be dis- disgracefully untruthful about what happened with her. She said that they kicked her out of yeah, her yeah, home, yeah. But they forced the, her to leave home when she's 14. This is absolutely untrue. Yet at the so same why did she do point, that? Well, because, because, she, because she wants to be seen as a rebel, because she doesn't want, she doesn't want it to be known that actually she's sending letters to her mum saying, Mum, I met, you know, Paul McCartney, he brackets, he's a Beatle. So she's very excited about that. But how did her parents react? So you're absolutely right, there's a bit in the book where she sends all these postcards reporting on each concert. and what She says very tellingly how great it feels to be on stage and I really feel I've become someone. Exactly. And at the same time, they're reading the papers saying, my parents threw me out of the home when I was 14, they're back a big bastard. They're a bit upset. Yeah, they just can't resist saying things like that in interviews, can they? Because they they just get people on their side, you know. So if you've suddenly become famous in this kind of world, people are putting microphones in front of you Every day, and encouraging you to yeah, fantasize to come up, about come up with some stuff to make yourself legendary. And, and and what nobody ever does is say, "Well, we just got by, and we're it's, fine." It's, and mum and dad are really fine. Nice, yes. and I got four they, O levels. They were very supportive. Whatever. Everybody's always yes. thrown out of school. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. I was born in a basement. I was raised by wolves. If the number of yes. rock stars, you know, who, who claim to be thrown out of school were actually thrown out of school, there'd be questions in Parliament. You know, Pete Doherty and his dad. Is it? Probably, probably, probably gets on with them very well. Well, well whatever. I'm sure that I'm sure that's They're, the case. This is Father's Day. I'm sure. Shall we move on? Which, I was going to ask you one last question. There's so much detail in, in the book. There's a bit where she's interviewed before her death, actually, around the time of this photograph, when she's interviewed by Newsweek, and there's an incredible observation. She says she's eating breakfast. She says that her breakfast is an unlovely concoction made from wood alcohol and chocolate syrup. And you're just thinking, what kind of a state must this girl Junkie be? Junkie food. Like, absolutely. Junkie I food. mean, it's, uh, it's appalling. Because people we knew on the NME would have that. <laughs> yes, they were, yeah. <laughs> Nick Kent, here. Yeah, names will be available <laughs> later. We'll edit that out. I wasn't thinking. There's a, there's a, on that bombshell, Nick Kent took drugs, you know. <laughs> this is an astonishing... Well, they're all astonishing chapters. This is astonishing. So just give us some idea of the... Jim Morrison is, I suppose, his high school picture, isn't it, I think? So give us some idea of, of the background. Very well, middle well, class. His father's... A, highly educated. More than, more than middle class. His father's an admiral who in charge of a, a, an aircraft carrier... There are in, many in the, admirals, in the Gulf of In the Gulf of, of Vietnam. So there's a tricky... Let me just just make this point clear, because it's absolutely... This is a real revelation to me. Ticking away inside him, this little engine, when Jim Morrison's at the absolute top of his curve with the doors, is the fact that he, the fabulous anti-establishment, anti-Vietnam War emblem, his own father is operating the aircraft carrier... He's killing the gooks. Boring, he's killing Vietnam. Right. Exactly. While he's singing it, five to one. While he's yes. singing five, five to one, one it's yeah. absolutely astonishing. Probably why he felt he couldn't see his parents after about uh, February 1968, which he didn't. Well, in fact, he uh, did. But, but he also puts out that he exactly he puts out the story that they're dead. Yeah. I thought that they, they were dead, or they'd abused him, or something. Was no, he, he was abu- he was apparently abused by a, a relative. Yeah. But he puts out that they're dead. But the significant point of. Um, for Jim Morrison, in, which is actually displayed quite well in Oliver Stone's film *The Doors*, which a lot of people don't like, but I think it's quite good, is um, when he's four because they move 
military family. They move around a lot. So there's a lack of stability there. But they move around a lot. They're in New Mexico and they're driving along somewhere in the country and they come across a vehicle containing with Native American Indians. It's crashed. It's upside down. There's people killed. There's people moaning and screaming. That's kind of... That's a, that's a sort of pivotal moment for him, which returns in, hey, Martin, in, in, in lyric. his lyrics. Isn't yeah, it comes lyric? up in his yeah. lyrics, yeah. Very like quite a, quite a, Yeah, exactly. I know. Just exactly. one last question before we go on to the last of this rogues gallery. I get the impression that he was a genuinely unpleasant person. I'm sorry. Jim Morrison seemed horrible to me. An absolutely horrible individual. I'm not sure. I didn't have that feeling. Well, look, I I do want to say one thing. What I want to say about... Well, he may have been foul, but I want to say... I don't think he was horrible to everyone, but I, I, I hadn't really listened to The Doors for kind of years before I started doing this again. Absolutely fantastic. I'd forgotten They're how fantastic incredible, records. incredible they Brilliant are. Brilliant records. Absolutely brilliant. And you, you, they're also completely unique in their time. You understood why they were so huge in America. Because there's... N- well, in the world, really, because there's no one like them. Those sort of jazzy undertones, the, the keyboards, and his lyrics, I think, are sensational. I remember being on the really? NME and people saying, oh, his lyrics, his lyrics, not very good. Not as good yeah. as Sham 69. No, he's no the lyrics are sensationally good, you know. He's, he's a great poet of our times. So why do they all go at 27? Sorry? What was the significance of 27? It, 20, 27, tw- the ages of 28 to 32 are supposed to be a transition to adulthood. That's when you're supposed to be... Um, I mean, I'm still trying to get that. I guess but, that anybody you know, but, told my but, children but, that. But, but, yeah, but, but that's supposed to be... So these people have all... They've, I mean, this is, this is the simplistic version. That's, they're supposed to be the, the transition, a transition to adulthood. And they're facing that and, they, and these people are already burnt out by their, that, that time. So they don't make. They basically don't make that transition. Right. It's, a, it's kind of as simple as that, really. Right, right. And I kind of accept that, you know. Well, I'm the not... last member of the, the, we put that picture up there on the left. That's the old um, uh, Delta Blues singers, King of Delta Blues singers, uh, album cover, which I'm old enough to remember as a kid because when that came out, there were no pictures. There were no of Robert pictures. Johnson. That's correct. And there are only three now. I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. was the famous one. Yeah. And I remember when we saw that when Eric Clapton and Peter Green and people heard yeah. that nobody knew what he looked like. It's yeah, astonishing yeah, now, yeah. isn't it? That's correct. And that's what he looked like. Yeah, and you had to go to do- you had to go to Doughbells on Charing Cross Road yes. to get the record. Yeah, and yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. really fed up when a picture turned up where he was he was grinning cheerfully. Yeah, they also be wearing a cut. Terrible old denim suit. Yeah, he's got a handkerchief in his top pocket. Belly story. He looks fantastic. I know he's the superb. He was, and he always looked fantastic. He's going down to the Wag Club. Yeah, those are the things about Robert Johnson. He was really stylish. Yes, yeah. And also, but he's also another one. He's like, you know, when he's when he's fifty, when he's sixteen, he has a he has a wife who's fourteen. And who dies in childbirth. Died in childbirth. childbirth. And so, the child died too. And the child died. Yeah. And it's all... But generally speaking, maybe that's why, in fact, generally speaking, all his girlfriends are much older after that. Yeah. But, but obviously mother figures too. You know, well, but, we just get on to his, his, his family in a moment, but, but there's a brilliant line in, in the book where you're talking about, well, you know, we all grew up with this myth of Robert Johnson, you know, the, the selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads. You know, yeah. And you put it very well, it's the myth of the Mississippi set Jacobean tragedy rewritten by Tennessee Williams. Is not true. No, it's complete bollocks. So explain it's why this is complete racist crap. Basically, it's because because it's this whole idea. It's a complete misinterpretation of African animist religions with the, with the which have several gods, you know, many gods, and there's the, the notion of the crossroads god, you know, which is about a, you know, it's the what it's. 
the decision you're taking in your life at that point. That's all it is. You know, and there's the idea of, you know, the, the idea he had the evil eye. No, he had a cataract, actually. You know, and also there's that point about the crossroads equally that... Don't you know, spoil it. He's trying to hitchhike. He's just trying to hitchhike. He's a roundabout. The, 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 he's expressing the terror. He's a roundabout, exactly. exactly. It's fast he's food expressing going around. the terror of trying shack. to hitchhike out of there in the White South because you could be, you, he could be lynched. Yeah. This, this whole thing about he sold his soul to the devil is, and, and all, is, is just such simplistic nonsense. And also, he goes off into... The wilderness for a couple of years. He finds a mentor. He finds someone who's going to who's going to instruct because he couldn't play very. He was considered not to be able to play guitar that well. He finds someone who who really spends two years teaching him how to become a master craftsman at, at, at what he's doing, and then he goes back and people are amazed. So that's how that story was complete. No, absolutely, but but also rubbish. he you know there's a lot of evidence that, that the set that he played was just the popular music. Oh, it's great. Yes, no, he's playing polkas. He's playing Bing Crosby Bing songs. Crosby songs, you know, polkas, dance music, country and western songs. You know, he's not. I mean, he, he has a, this big hit with Terraplane. Well, big hit, Terraplane Blues, sell five thousand no, copies. A, it's a local, it, it's a local hit. But that's what also probably led to his. Ends because it makes him much more popular with women. But he was, you know, he was, he was, he was kind of successful. Basically, remind and people of his amazing. end if they don't know it. It's a terrible Sorry? story. Sorry? Remind people of how he met his end if they don't know it. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. It's um, uh, uh, Robert Johnson is having a, you know, he's he, having a, another of his endless affairs with, you know. But in fact, this is actually she's a younger woman, but uh, this time, and um, and and he's going to play a. He's going to do a gig. It's Saturday night. He's going to do a gig uh, in um, uh, one of these Duke joints. Um, but actually, it's the Duke joint of the husband of the woman he's having the affair with. And it's bootleg whiskey because it's a dry state. It, it, it's Mississippi. And it's mothballs dissolved in, in, the, in, in the bootleg whiskey that do for him, which was apparently a standard kind of way of, you know, there's people are problems, you put mothballs in their drink, usually they don't die. Uh, after about four days, they recover. But his, you know, his body is so damaged by, you know, his years on the road. Because they would, they, he didn't just play in the South, by the way. Robert Johnson right, <laughs> rides trains to New York. He rides to Canada. He goes all over the place. Um, and makes, you know, reasonable money. You know, reasonable money. It's not a lot at all, but he makes a reasonable living. But anyway, he, um, that's after, after, after three days, he dies, basically, from mothballs. So watch out. When, next time you smell someone's coat, well, <laughs> at this time of year, actually, watch out. <laughs> I have to say, we haven't got time to get onto this, actually, but, but the book is not just about the catastrophes that befall these people. Fascinating it is. There's a lot of it really well written about the music that they made. And yeah, a lot yeah, of what I, do, I thought made. that was quite important. <laughs> no, she's really quite important, important to really, get, she's get not, that I don't want you to get the impression that Chris has written a kind of tabloid attack on these people because it's simply superb. And that's really all the time we've got to talk about it. But it, it, I have to say, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. I've really learned a lot about all seven of them. It's fantastic, very fast-moving, immense and, amounts of information. And Chris has... Thanks, and we've also long... A yeah. bunch of copies yes, yes. I've got in some a backpack, out there. Yes. and he's going straight on to another function, and he doesn't wish to take them with him <laughs> to the back. So please help. So lighten please his help. Lighten his load. Chris will be delighted to sell it, sell it to you. Uh, Chris Salovich. Thanks for being here. Thanks, This podcast was brought to you by The Word. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 